Welcome, everyone. You're listening to This is Hockey Culture, an SB Nation podcast where we break down the most pressing news circulating the NHL by examining the intersections of politics, identity, sports, and culture in order to define what makes hockey, hockey. I'm Kat Petre. And I'm Sam Siciliano. And this is Hockey Culture. So this week, we're going to be talking a little about power dynamics in the league, but more specifically, general managers. There's been a lot of discussions around general managers and commissioners in the NHL recently, but with Jim Benning possibly being on his way out of Vancouver and Bob Murray and Stan Bowman both leaving their positions in the face of investigations into their behavior. Because this is a podcast about hockey culture and GMs are so important in dictating that for their teams, I thought it'd be a good idea to sit down and talk a little bit about what GMs do and what that kind of looks like for the culture of the NHL. The league is at an age right now where we're undeniably seeing a shift in culture and at the core of that shift is accountability. But before we dive into power structure within organizations, we're going to give a relatively general overview of what comes along with the responsibilities of being a GM. So let's start off with maybe what GMs are probably best known for, and that's reorganizing or rebuilding a team with sweeping gestures such as getting rid of coaches or rebuilding a roster by selling off contracts like the Arizona Coyotes are a pretty great example of a rebuilding team right now but those are moves in general that GMs want to avoid there's a reason why it often takes a decade or more if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs to compete for the Stanley Cup and win it right it's small details over time that guarantee a successful product And so there's a few key areas in which a general manager focuses their efforts. And it's these key areas that often determine success for an NHL franchise. It's not only on the ice, but also as a business institution whose number one priority is to make money. These areas constitute defining the work environment and work culture, allocating resources to best meet their long-term goals, actually defining what those long-term goals goals are and that future is both again on the ice and off of it so the Stanley Cup but also reaching economic goals and they have to decide how best to spend money to reach those goals and obviously like the day-to-day operations so in general a general manager is kind of like what it sounds like it's a taskmaster whose main job is to make sure the team is going to reach its goals But in particular, I think there's two areas that are super important to our uh, conversation today, and that's work environment and culture and long-term strategies. We've touched upon this concept a little in the past, you know, in past episodes. We've talked about the idea that the hockey world is actually a very small community, especially when you're playing at such an elite level. And I bring this up because the league has a history of protecting people in positions of power to a fault for sure. And that to me is a result of heightened interpersonal relationships, right? It's very uncommon to see people or, I, you know what, men in the league who are general man- managers who have not been a part of this game for at least the last 15 to 20 years, right? And so I think as a result of that, we have people like Murray in Anaheim, right, who are so well protected that they stop protecting, you know, brand identity and the culture as a whole. And it ends up kind of becoming about them and less about the team. 
Right. Every company has its own particular work environment. And it's their history that often dictates what that looks like and how equipped they are to handle new changes and deal with problems, right? Original six teams, due to their history and lineage, will have a different work culture than a newer team like the Seattle Kraken or the Vegas Golden Knights. But there's kind of three areas that dictate a company's work environment and the success of it, right? Performance standards set the pace and quality of people's work. The actual business concepts, so the strategies that the culture is founded upon and what the work operates towards, and the people who work there and the values that they hold that then translate into their work environment. But because every business and industry is constantly innovating, forward thinking, mental flexibility, and emotional intelligence are the key qualities that often dictate how long a GM can or should be in their position, right? It's no secret that the face of the industry of hockey is changing rapidly, not only the culture, but even the actual economics of it. Advancing technology, new economic frameworks, things like sports betting, and of course, changing sociocultural experiences mean that the most important thing a general manager or kind of anyone at the upper level of this industry can be is adaptable. A lot of times with older general managers, I think that they feel like they have a really well-rounded general scope of what it means to be in hockey. But I think we sometimes forget that, you know, when guys like Murray were playing in the league, like social media didn't even exist. So for a lot of I think players too, there is like this relatively like this disconnect almost between the two, because it's like, yes, you understand hockey culture, but you don't really understand what it means to be a player in this hockey culture. And to be honest, like in order to create a consistently competitive and successful business operation, the people running it have to be flexible and cognizant of new advances in the industry and changing culture and kind of be ahead of the curve. And I think in some areas of the NHL, we don't often see that. And I'm not saying that every GM out there in the NHL is doing a bad job. That is absolutely the opposite of what I'm saying. Or that Gary Bettman and Bill Daly are doing a bad job, although some of their recent behavior has been a little bit suspect. But it's more commentary on kind of from an economic perspective, what are the general qualities that make a business successful and how is that translated from the top? And I think a really great example of an adaptable general manager is Kyle Dubas of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And not only because I think he's like goals from a career perspective, I would love to be a GM of an NHL team at 32. Um, But because he's young, I think that means that he's more tapped into the changing interface of hockey and hockey culture, but also because he's comfortable in the hockey industry and relative to his age has had a really long career working in management He also understands the culture of quote-unquote old hockey and is able to kind of bridge that gap between this new frontier we're facing in the sport, but also this more older idea of what this industry looks like and who is in it. Businesses in general, I think, are typically trending younger, which makes sense. But when it comes to setting the culture and the company's values, GMs are kind of the most important piece of that. Basically, this is sort of like the quote unquote, what it's like to work here environment. And I think in regards to some of the teams who've had to deal with investigations 
like the Chicago Blackhawks and the Anaheim Ducks, we've seen a couple of internal memos be leaked that are showcasing maybe a little bit more of what the work environment looked like. Um, And for the Ducks, we now know that like their own values were flawed and they had a culture of uh, like a toxic work environment and verbal harassment and abuse, which is terrible, but also meant that their business was suffering, right? At least for a short period, like a toxic work environment can still be successful in the short term. The Chicago Blackhawks won three Stanley Cups. But the thing with that, besides being morally and ethically absolutely despicable, of course, but again, we're talking on the economic side right now. The thing is that those short-term qualities that fear and that stress and that anger, it eventually runs its course and it's no longer successful and it's starting to be debilitating. Not again, only for the mental and physical and emotional health of your employees, which should be your number one priority, but also because it just like, because of that, honestly, it, it means they can't work as successfully into their best potential and they're not buying into the product as much. So you know, I think that's the other part of it. Now that we're looking at these teams like the Anaheim Ducks under a little bit more critically um, critical eye, I think it begs the question of like, why teams like the Anaheim Ducks were so unsuccessful for so long? And maybe work culture is a part of it because they haven't been successful, honestly, as a franchise since the early 2000s. I completely, completely agree with you. It's kind of like one of those things where now you look back and you're like, oh, you know, maybe that was it. Maybe it was the fact that everybody was miserable. And to me, teams and organizations unwaveringly are representations of what hockey culture looks like in each city. And yes, fans do play a massive role in this as well. But in a way, organizations are entities that are larger representations of the masses in those spaces. And I will say, especially as of late, I think we have seen teams and people in those places continue to take advantage of their positions of power for personal gain. And I know that this is something that I've said quite a few times now, but it seems to me like GMs are more concerned with their own personal maybe legacy versus actually leaving the legacy of being a great organization or an honorable one, and regardless of winning what that looks like. And so I really hope that, you know, we start to see that shift in culture, also in management, because I think it's just going to be better for the sport. And I do think we are going to see teams do more winning. I don't, you know, I don't think it's going to, everyone's just going to start losing because you start respecting one another, you know? Totally. And I'm glad that you brought up the winning part of it because you have to win as a team. Hockey is such a team sport and a team culture compared to like the NBA, which uh, relies a lot on superstars and that sort of thing. Like it's just a different culture in the way that teams are set up. Right. And when it comes to your upper management, they really have to be operating as a team in conjunction with the players. Yes, but also every other level of that business institution and so there really has to be like this general buy-in but also this kind of general understanding of each other like it's we're all working for the win we're not working just for the personal legacy of the gm as you said and that kind of has to do with resources and strategy as well um some gms as i'm sure a lot of fans have a lot of opinions on gms 
know that not every GM is great at developing a long-term strategy for success or figuring out how to best utilize their resources. We've seen teams like the Arizona Coyotes struggle with money and that sort of thing. We've seen teams like the Vancouver Canucks uh, basically operate as if they were a playoff team by selling off draft picks and like trading for massive contracts, but they have no cup because they're not actually a Stanley Cup team. Like resources and strategy really go a long way and it's resources and strategy and like allocating those resources that really have to be built in this team environment. And as we kind of like wind down what a GM does sort of overview and like what makes a successful GM successful in like modern business like perspectives, I think it's also important to note that of the organizations that we know of that have been dealing with public workplace harassment or sexual abuse scandals, right? Like there's a lot of stuff I'm sure that goes on behind the scenes that we haven't heard about yet. Um, But in relation to like the Chicago Blackhawks, the Pittsburgh Penguins, now the Anaheim Ducks, the problems stem from the top, whether that be the problem itself being a member of upper management like Bob Murray or the problem being a cover-up that was dictated by the general manager of the upper management. The problems come from them, and the culture set out for the team and the organization is dictated by the general manager and those members of upper management. So it is absolutely imperative that the values that they showcase, not only to the public, but especially in private to their team and organization, are the ones that are really going to be indicative of the culture and the identity they operate under. So it totally means something for teams to publicly say, hey, we're not about abuse <laughs> in hockey, like Anna and Beck said, you know, we don't condone this behavior, but it's the behind the scenes stuff that really matters. I want to go back to this, like, quote unquote, magic word of adaptability. And I want to talk a little bit about why it's key as GM. The more adaptable you are, the more able you are to anticipate and respond to changes in the industry, problems within your organization, like active abuse investigations, and future innovations like the rise of sports betting. For example, I mean, instead of being reactionary, the best GMs are the ones who are anticipatory. They've already made a game plan as to how to best optimize new technologies, or for example, advanced analytics to track ice time or other stats instead of just writing off these new advancements as... I don't know. I like advanced analytics, but there's a lot of people who don't. Instead of just getting rid of them, they already know how to best incorporate them into their business plan. And it's more than just mental flexibility, right? Being adaptable is also so important because it showcases your ability to be resourceful, be a true leader. How determined are you in order to like solve problems and figure things out? Your analytical skills, like these are all really valuable qualities And they're usually better and more understanding leaders. There's a level of emotional maturity and emotional intelligence that goes along with adaptability, right? And the most important thing for a GM, they're more relevant long-term and they're more valuable to a company for a longer period of time. We've talked a little bit how some GMs are in their position for ever. Um, Doug Wilson was just inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame, and he's been the general manager of the Sharks since 2003. That's almost, what is that, more than 20 years? I'm bad at math. It's a long time. I'm not saying he shouldn't be in that position or he's not doing a great job, but it's more that like the GMs who are successful for years and years and years, racking up decades, there's something different about them because normally 
that doesn't make sense from an economic perspective because it is so difficult to remain relevant for decades and be able to withstand and navigate through so many changes. And it's those GMs that I think are the ones who are the best at managing change if they have the focus and the motivation and open-mindedness to not only meet a rapidly expanding future in the sport, but also help determine it, then their success has a consistent upwards trajectory. GMs hold a lot of power and responsibility in regards to teams and even organizations as a whole. And I think that history has taught us that GMs can either make or break your team. And like you said, 20 years, almost 20 years is a really, really long time, especially when we see the game change, not only in terms of the actual game, right? We're seeing the style of play change, but we're also seeing a shift in the world around us. And that means a GM who is flexible and not rigid and is willing to learn new ways of the new world, right? But I do think it takes a special type of person to be in a position like that to say, okay, this game is ever growing, ever changing. And maybe the hockey I played 20 years ago maybe that doesn't work or maybe that style of coaching or, you know, maybe this doesn't work. And I think that's kind of why I was so excited that you brought up Kyle do this before, because we're seeing somebody who is so young with that energy taking over that responsibility. I think it's a really exciting time for them. And I think too, well, two things, first of all, I love that you brought up like how the game has changed specifically. Doug Wilson was one of the last players in the NHL. He retired like in the early nineties, I believe to play without a helmet, which is wild to me. I mean, obviously you can't do that now. You never, can't believe Crazy, you never right? do that. Crazy. Like, like, literally no helmet. No helmet. Remember when they had, <laughs> sorry, brief sidebar. Remember when they had to like haze goalies into putting on masks? Remember when yeah. they didn't wear masks? Just random, random thought, kind of crazy. But yeah, no, I mean, we are literally talking about guys who like, like you can't even play without a visor now. No. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? And then we have man's, had no bucket on like that's I love that you said that that's crazy and I think because I was like so crazy no one's talking about that enough but anyway that's like a really great example of how much just hockey itself the mechanics of the game have changed in the past 20 something years like the 90s weren't that long ago but I think too important to know as we're talking about this entire conversation we're framing it around GMs but when it comes to people like Gary Bettman or Bill Daly anyone who's in like the upper, upper level of um, the head of the league itself and the commissioners, you can kind of like sort of inner like space GMs with commissioner in this setting. Like all of that still applies. We're talking about general managers, but you could put commissioner in for it and all of this would still be relevant. So keep that in mind as well. Not a direct comment on Gary Bettman and Bill Daly, but something to think about. But not in, not an indirect not not direct. Yeah, exactly. I want to talk a little bit about hiring GMs. You talked a little bit about how this is a really insular small community and generally the people who are being hired into positions of power, not only of the GM position, but just in general in this league or former players or people who have been in this league in some capacity for years and years and years, which on one hand totally makes sense, right? Like they have the experience and the cultural know-how and all of these sorts of things. That's exactly who you would want to be heading up your organization. However, there is a downside to this and that's nepotism, right? A lot of people in this league, players included, are legacies and they're all coming from the same small sphere and community. 
And that can be a problem because there's a lot of people who get missed out in the conversation when you're just pulling from a very specific group. And so when it comes to demographics, I want to talk a little bit about it because I think it's really interesting and it often gets conflated with those communities being the only one with power and experience to do a good job. And I don't think that's true. So I'm sure as it comes to no surprise to all of you, but all of the current NHL GMs are all white men. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. Oh my God, really? (laughs) Crazy. Their average age is about 50. I did do a lot of math to figure that out. The oldest um, by quite a bit uh, is Lou Lamorello. Yeah. 75. That's just a fun fact. Did not realize he was three years older than my father and was 70. I just did not realize Lou Lamorello was 75. Good for him. And he's honestly, in my opinion, he's been a fantastic champ for the New York Islanders. I completely agree. Shout out New York. Yeah. So that's a a great example of saying, like, we're not saying that age is the problem, but age is a factor. And age, and you know, every old GM doesn't mean that they're a bad GM. Lou Limerillo is a fantastic GM. Right. And I will say, too, like, and, you know, just because you're young, it doesn't mean you know what to bring to the table. But just because you're older, that also doesn't mean, like, you know more because you've been around the game more. I mean, in terms of, like, years of experience, yes, you have more. But like I said, different game, different world, different time. You know, it's just things to think about. Exactly. Also, no surprise, Kyle Dubas is the youngest. He's 32. I thought he was 35. What a king. Love him. Oh, we love a young king. When talking about demographics, and this is kind of like a really important point that I wanted to make. Again, like I said, the only people who are GMs of the NHL teams right now are older white men. That does not mean that the only people who are capable of being a GM are older white men. There have been and there are so many qualified people who are not white men and not men in general who would succeed in a GM role. And there's a history and culture within hockey that has so far made it very, very difficult for people who are non-white and non-male to be chosen for positions of power in the industry, right? There's sociocultural barriers that exist that have absolutely dictated the demographics within the NHL that are really, really important to keep in mind when discussing who is and who isn't in power in hockey. It's just, we've really limited hockey. That's really all I want to say is like, we've really, really limited hockey. And there's a lot of people outside of that sphere who do have the type of mental and the personality that you need and the business mind to run things like that. And I would hope that as we continue to see the culture shift, which like I said earlier, we totally are. I hope we see a shift come with what those representations look like, right? Like these teams are representations of the culture in each city. And right now, all of those representations physically look exactly the same. And so we're just getting a lot more the same. And then economically, we want to say, why aren't we making money? We don't get it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make sense. It's not specifically just the age for me although I do probably sound super ageist I'm not I like older people are cool like you guys are great like I think you're awesome but it's just we need fresh and new and we need people who are going to be open-minded and so if you are older and you cannot do that then respectfully the culture needs something else exactly and I think the most important thing honestly for me is always having a diverse 
set of individuals to contribute and dictate your business and also your culture. We know that businesses that are more racially and gender diverse and age diverse are more successful on a financial standpoint, which totally makes sense, right? A wider range of people from a diverse set of backgrounds and identities are more equipped to handle problems and problem solve and generate creative ideas. And like they just, they cover more bases. They're able to connect with more audiences and communities. They're able to develop a better product that's more stable long-term. So it's no surprise that having a wider group of people in management, not even just the GM, but just in upper staff and management who are a diverse group of people across different ethnicities, races, religions, gender, genders, ages, all of the identities you want to list them is going to make the most successful product and also dictate hockey culture in a way that I think is the most accessible for everyone. And I think too, hockey culture is changing, but it's not going to change without work or without effort. Like I think a lot of times we just want to say, oh, the culture is changing and kind of take a back seat without realizing that we really have to be drivers of what that change looks like. Activism, it's activism for a reason. You have to act, you have to do something, you know, come on. It's going to take a long time and things are changing. Um, Just like if I can insert like my own little personal experience here, you guys know I cover the sharks, obviously, that's why I'm here. (laughs) Um, but I'm the one who's in the press box, and I'm the only woman there most nights. I'm often the only woman in the media scrums. I am certainly the only woman at practice. I was just at practice the other day, and beyond myself and the security guard, only girl, which is totally fine. Every, well, it's not fine, but like... <laughs> You're like, wait, 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 not cool, actually. Everyone is so wonderful and so nice, and like you can see that the culture is changing because I'm not treated any differently than anyone else just because I'm a girl. And I told this like anecdote the other day, but like Mike Ricci, who is the Sharks development coach, so wonderful. I love all of the Sharks coaching staff. Every interaction that I've had with them personally has been really great. Um, He was walking by, saw a couple of the media guys. He was like, hey guys. And then he saw me, he was like, and girls. And I was like, thanks, Mike. It's those sorts of acknowledgements and the fact that, um, people who are different and you don't you don't often see young women in hockey and the position that I am in um and it's like those sorts of acknowledgements and realizations that make you kind of understand that like this hockey culture is changing but we're still pretty unused to seeing non-white men um in the sport on all levels whether it be on the media side and journalistic side whether it be in the coaching staff the training staff or the nutritionist or like whoever right and so it really like we do have to remember that while this culture is changing we have to still advocate for that change it's not going to change if we're just like letting it like sit back and just do its thing Like we really do have to push like as fans, as consumers, as people in this industry to advocate for greater diversity in positions of power and and management and staff. If you want to get in touch with us, all contact information will be listed in the description box of the episode. You can shoot us an email, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and find us on Fear the Fin at SB Nation.